How about those who's? We got to do better. How about those who's? There we go. You know, um, it's a good thing we're cheering because this morning's sermon's going to be a tough one. Right? There you go. And uh, for those of you who are newer to city or maybe you're visiting this morning, I've been going through a sermon series that's entitled Back to the Basics. Back to the Basics. And it's been personally challenging for me as I have looked at some of the fundamental realities of following Jesus and serving others. But this morning, the title of the message that I'm bringing is Back to Basics, You Are Not Good Enough. You're not good enough. And the subcontext to that is faith, works, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith, works, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to do something if you've never done this at City, but if you utilize the YouVersion Bible app, if you utilize that to read scripture, in the bottom right-hand corner, you'll see a little box with a series of lines. If you click on that, it will open up a menu on the left side of the app, and you can click on events, and City Church is one of the events. If you click on City Church, you'll discover that my sermon notes are there, and you can literally follow along. And the reason why I'm sharing that is, is that this morning's sermon is going to go biblically or theologically deeper than most of the sermons that I bring, but I believe that we are a thinking, praying people, and so I'm trusting that all of us will be able to keep up, but more importantly, that God will speak to our hearts. What I'm going to do at the outset is I'm going to read a parable. I'm going to read a parable of Jesus, and then we're going to read from the book of Romans. It's been a long time since I preached from the book of Romans. One of the reasons is, is Romans is a deep, deep theological book where the Apostle Paul, and I'll explain who he is in just a few moments, goes through some very intricate arguments about what it truly means to understand and to live into and to trust the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, I want to begin reading a parable that might be familiar to you if you're a person who's been a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you're kind of looking over the wall at faith. There are people you know that follow Jesus. Maybe they've invited you to be here with us. But the parable we're getting ready to read is a very famous one. It's titled, The Parable of the Workers in the Vineyard. It's found in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Again, we're going to read more scripture than normal, but I wanted to read this parable because I believe that from it, the Apostle Paul says what he's going to say in the book of Romans. I believe that this parable informed Paul to some degree as he was doing the theological work that he does in the book of Romans. So here's the parable, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Here we go. For the kingdom of heaven is like, by the way, anytime you read the gospel and you hear Jesus say that, your faith antenna needs to go way up. 
because he will be explaining the kingdom of heaven, which is synonymous with the kingdom of God or the kingdom that Jesus came to usher in. So he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. Usually, when he says that, get ready to be stunned. It's not going to be what you think. Also know this. Jesus taught in parables. Middle Eastern literature, the stuff that we read in the scriptures, is oftentimes written in a such a way to where the truth that we are to learn, you must seek for it. You must dig for it. Oftentimes, it's not laying on the surface. And the reason why is the biblical writers and the ancient peoples around the scriptural region believed that just having a data dump isn't what you need. You need to dig and search. And when you find it, it's like treasure that nourishes your soul. That's why Jesus taught in parables. He could have very easily just said, hey, here's what you need to know, but he doesn't. He tells a parable. Let's read. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard. I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one hired us. They answered and he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard went to his, what vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last one hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired at about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, am I not, am I not being unfair to you, friend? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. And the next couple sentences are shocking. I want to give the one who was hired the last as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Such is the kingdom of heaven. It does not operate the way we think. When we look at the kingdom of heaven, you will notice that there is work, wages, and God's generosity. Work, wages, and God's generosity. The reason why I'm preaching this sermon is because I have a deep pastoral concern, and it is this. Are you living by faith, or are you living by works? Here's why. If you're living by faith, you will understand the sermon that's coming. If you're not, you will be deeply challenged. And here's why. 
Many of us started out in the Christian life living by faith, but now we're living by works. We began correctly, but we've stepped away from living by faith. Or you might be a person who's sitting here and you're looking over the wall at faith and you believe that it's by good works or by doing enough that God will pay you and therefore you will enter into the kingdom of heaven. In other words, works, wages. Works, wages. Or you will come to Jesus and you will put your trust, your belief, and your faith in him and thereby be declared as righteous. Now, when I looked at the scriptures... And I wanted for us to somehow biblically take a journey to understand my pastoral concern. I felt led to the Apostle Paul and the gospel of Jesus Christ that is found in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. And I want to challenge you, even encourage you at the outset, please follow along. If you've got your version Bible app, do that. The text will be up on the screen. But I really want you to follow in deeply with the message this morning. Romans 1, 16 through 17, the Apostle Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who works believes first to the Jew then to the Gentile for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last in other words you start out in righteousness by faith and you continue that way through your entire journey a righteousness that is by faith from first to last just as it is written the righteous will live by faith. That's where I want to begin for the next few moments. But I need to answer a couple questions. Because who is the Apostle Paul? Some of us don't know who he is. Again, you're checking out faith. The Apostle Paul was one of the religious leaders of the Jewish movement. He was someone... Not like all the Jewish leaders, many of them put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, but Paul did not. As a matter of fact, he began to persecute the church and anyone who followed Jesus. As a Jewish leader, one day he was going down the road and he met the resurrected Christ. Jesus transformed everything about the apostle Paul. But please know this. He was still Jewish. He was still walking out Judaism, but what he was brought into was the belief that Jesus was the Messiah. Not only this, but the Apostle Paul was an Old Testament scholar. He understood the Older Testament, and he was going to make it his goal and his ministry to show people how the Older Testament speaks to the Newer. Therefore, we come up with this quote that we just read. The righteousness from God is first for the Jew, then to the Gentile. What does that mean? 
Why does Paul say that? The reason why is, is because Judaism is where faith originates. You see, the biblical record tells us that in about 2100 B.C., God, out of nowhere, and you can read this in the book of Genesis chapter 12, God, out of nowhere, approaches one man by the name of Abraham. And in Genesis 12, verse 1, God approaches Abraham, and here's what he says. Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, Abraham at that point was 75 years old, and he had no children. But the Bible tells us that Abraham believed, he trusted, and he placed his faith in the promise that God gave him. Therefore, the Apostle Paul says with boldness, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. What does it mean to be righteous? And who are the righteous? Well, the righteous are the people that are viewed through the eyes of God as being justified. They're not perfect. They are not sinless. They do not always get it right. But God looks at them like he did Abraham, and he declares that Abraham is righteous, not because of his works, but because of faith. That when God came to him with a promise and said, Abraham, out of you, I'm going to make a great nation, and through that I will bless the entire earth, Abraham believed. And in believing, he was declared righteous. And in being declared righteous, he was justified. Was he perfect or sinless? No. But his faith is what justified him and made him righteous. Now, what I want to do is I want us to move to Romans chapter 4. And as we look at Romans chapter 4, there are going to be passages of Scripture up on the screen. But again, my goal is, is to convince you this morning that a life of faith is what God looks for, not works. Romans 4, verses 1 through 3. Here Paul writes, What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this manner? Now let's push the pause button. Abraham is the first Jew. He is the first one that has listened to the promise of God and said yes. He put his faith, his trust, and his belief in the promise. Paul says, what did he discover? Verse 2, if in fact Abraham was justified by works... He had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He didn't earn it. God looked at his faith and credited it to him. God declared, Abraham 
is righteous, not by his works, but by his faith. Paul quotes in that verse in Romans 4, chapter 1, um, uh, Romans 4, 3, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteous. That's a quote from Genesis 15, 6. So in Genesis chapter 12, at the age of 75, God comes to Abraham and says, I want a people for me. You're going to be the father of those people. I will be their God. They will be mine. Now in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says that Abraham believed God, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now I want to give you the context of where that's said. In Genesis 15, chapter 2, Abram is approached by God. And it's said that Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? Abraham's now 99. God called him when he's 75. Now he's 99. And he turns to God and says, Sovereign Lord, how can you give me um, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I am childless? Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Verse 4, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Then, in Genesis 15, 6, one verse later, it says this, Abram believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham had to believe the promise. That's all he had. For 25 years, no children with Sarah, none. And then as we read on in the text, we discover in Genesis 17, again now, Abraham is 99 years old. God comes to Abraham again, and can you imagine God promised him that he would have kids as numerous as the sands of the sea and the stars in the heaven, and there's no children with Sarah, none. And in Genesis 17, Abraham's now 99. And at the age of 99, Here's what the scripture tells us in Genesis 17, 4. As for me, this is my covenant with you. God is speaking to Abraham. You will be the father of many nations. You no longer will be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations come for you. There will be kings that are in your lineage. And I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. God brings the promise to, to Abram over and over and over again. Still no children. None. But the scripture tells us that Abram believed. He was trusting. He put his faith in the promise of God, and there was no evidence of it coming about. God goes on even further. 
In verse 9 of Genesis 17, it says, Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. Now, can you imagine? God is establishing a covenant with his descendants, and he has no kids. God shows up to Abram and says, guess what, you're now Abraham, and I'm going to establish a covenant with your children, and Abram's going, where are they? I don't have any. And God goes on even further, and he says this, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. You are, to go un- you are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Looking at this promise of God, God moves towards a covenant with Abraham, and there are no children to prove that the covenant even will exist. But Scripture says that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him is righteousness. You see, the ultimate work, the first law ever given to the Jews, the first law ever given to Abraham as the first Jew, the first work that he was called to do was circumcision. And from that day on, every single Jewish male child on the eighth day is to be circumcised to be a constant covenant reminder that God has chosen Israel as his favored people and he will bless them and bless the nations through them. Now in looking at that, Paul brings us a little bit deeper in Romans chapter 4 verses 4 through 5. Let's return to the book of Romans. And in Romans, here's what the scripture says. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. You see, as Paul now begins to develop his argument about faith is not by works, but it's by trust and belief in the promise of God, he begins now to talk about working in wages. Working in wages. He presents it this way. If we work for God, then there is no gift. It's an obligation In other words, if I think I have to work to be right with God, then God doesn't give me a gift. He's actually obligated to me. Doesn't that sound creepy? Somehow the creator of all that there is, because I've done some good stuff, is now indebted to me. God owes me. He's obligated to me. Paul says, no. Here's how it works. We are not to work so that God is obligated to us. Work, wages. He says in verse 5, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. It's shocking. 
because almost everyone believes I've got to work for God. I've got to get in there and do enough good stuff and then I will be justified and declared righteous. Paul says, no, it's not how it works. It's for the one who does not work, but trusts God completely that the promise that's trusted in is what justifies us and makes us righteous. He goes more into his argument in Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Romans 4, 9 through 12. It reads, We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as what? As what? Righteousness. Not his works. His works would have been wages. It was his faith, and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, he's right before God. He's been declared as justified in God's sight. Is he perfect? No. Does he get everything right? No. But God looked at his faith when he trusted the promise. And through that, he is declared righteous, which means he's justified in the eyes of God. Reading on. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but when? Before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Please hear me clearly. When we look at that mark, the cutting of the flesh in every Jewish male, it is absolutely a sign of the covenant. But it's not the cutting that makes you righteous. It's the trusting in the promise of God, putting our hope, our faith, our belief in that there is a God that fulfills his promise. And notice what is said. Abraham was declared as righteous before he was circumcised. Before. There are many of us here who have recently come to faith. We just heard in the announcement that there will be water baptism. And in the midst of that water baptism, what we do is we demonstrate our death to sin and our resurrection to new life through water baptism. But here's what I want to be clear about. Baptism does not save you any more than circumcision would as a Jew. It is the idea of putting our faith in a God who fulfills his promise, that we trust him, that we believe in him, and we rest in his promise. Reading on a little further in Romans chapter 4, verse 16, here's what Paul goes on to write. Therefore, the promise comes by how? Faith. So that in it, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, in other words, Jewish, but also to those who have the faith of who? Abraham. So in other words, 
the covenant relationship that God steps into a, to with Abraham is something that's available to anyone who puts their faith, their belief, and their trust in the God of promise. Anyone. And what's absolutely stunning is that in Jesus Christ, that promise is now available not just to people who are Jewish, but it's available to anyone who will put their faith, hope, and trust in Christ. Reason is, the way you would be Jewish is by having the right lineage. And now Paul begins to speak to us so deeply that we are justified by faith, that we are declared righteous by faith. It's not the works that we do. It's by the fact that we put our faith, our hope, our trust in the God of the promise. So how do we put feet to our faith? What does it look like? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 4, verses 20 through 25. Here's what he writes. Yet Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were not written for Abraham alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Hear me clearly. You are not right with God because of the good works that you do. You are declared justified. You are declared righteous because you put your faith, your hope, your trust in the God who raised Jesus from the dead. Now listen. If you are a person who is convinced that works is the right way to go, I want to warn you, you're not good enough. You're not. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul keeps with this theme of work, wages. Work, wages. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he states the following. For the wages of sin is what? Death. If you want to live by works, there will be sin in your life. And some of your works are sinful and the wage of sin is death, but the gift, not what you've earned, but what you're given freely. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you see the difference? If you want to live by work, the problem is some of our works are sinful and sin always brings the wages of death. But if I move towards faith and I trust in Jesus, eternal life is a gift that is given. There is no greater work to do, especially involved with the Jewish faith, than to obey the 613 laws of Judaism. One of which, and the primary of which, is circumcision for all Jews. 
And yet the Apostle Paul, as a Jew, someone who lived all the Jewish laws, he looks at the laws and does not say, throw them away. A lot of Christians believe that because Jesus came, that all Jews need to walk away from all the laws. That is not what Paul says, nor is it how Jesus lived. Jesus was Jewish. He himself was circumcised on the eighth day. But what we are called to believe in is that Abraham was declared righteous before he ever did a single work. He was declared righteous because why? He believed. And because he believed, he was justified. And because he was justified, he was in right relationship with God. Again, we put feet to our faith. You are not good enough. But what God calls us to do is put our faith, our belief, and our trust in the God of the promise. And he has promised that not only has he raised Jesus from the dead, but he will raise you and he will raise me as well. Would you stand with me? As we stand together, I'm going to ask that you would close your eyes just for a brief moment. Some of us began in faith. We started out in faith. But our sense of assurance and justification and righteousness before God has now shifted to works. We started in faith, but now we live by works. We believe if we don't always get it right that somehow God is rejecting us. It never said that Abraham got it all right. It says that he believed and he trusted and he put his faith in the promise of God. If you're here and you have shifted from living by faith, to where now you've been living by works, I know the burden you, you are carrying. I know what it feels like, because I've done it myself. I want you to trust the gospel, the good news of Jesus. You are not good enough. God never expects you to be good enough because you can't. What God calls us to do is to put our faith and our trust in the gospel of Jesus and the good news. That in him, and trusting in the promise of God that's met only in Jesus, that we too can be declared righteous and justified in his sight. If you started out in faith, but you've been living in works, I want you to take just a moment now to repent. Say, God, forgive me. God, help me to daily wear that righteousness is by faith. It's a gift. It's something God chooses out of generosity to give to those who put their faith in Christ. Maybe this morning, you've never put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. You've never done it. You always thought it was by works. Here's the good news of the gospel. It's not. It's by faith and belief 
in trust in Jesus. And that's how you're justified. That's how you're declared righteous. That's how you step into a covenant relationship with a God who desperately, desperately loves you. If you're here and you've never accepted Jesus, could you take just a moment, closing your eyes in the presence of Christ, take just a moment to confess to him as the worship team begins to lead us, that you would confess to Jesus that you've always done it by works. But that brings wages, and those wages are death. You don't want death, you want life. So confess to God and ask him to forgive you. And then step forward in faith and belief and trust in the person of Jesus. And God gives us his righteousness by faith through grace.